You're listening to the Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Kate, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Kate, for anyone listening who may not know all that much about your work, although I'm pretty sure everyone has heard about it by now, tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. So I am an author. Um, I'm a mother. I have two small children, four and a half and two, almost two. She'll be two next week. And um, I have a membership for women entrepreneurs who want to learn to grow their businesses while doing less. And I am a wife and a dancer. And yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, amazing. And I know you've most recently become most famous for your work around the do less uh, phenomenon and idea, which I love and I want to dive into that. Um, But I first uh, met your work years back around money mindset and money a love story. So will you tell us a little bit about that as well? Absolutely. So I um, went through my own sort of financial drama and recovery in my early 20s. And I ended up writing a book about that called Money, A Love Story. And I, you know, what I think I am here to do in the world is basically share my own experience um, in a practical way that other people can then apply to their own lives. So that's what I, that's what I did with the money work. And then I created a course called um, the Money Love Course and really helped that program and, and the book helps people to live in a much more conscious, empowered way around their money so that they feel like uh, their finances aren't happening to them, but that they have um, agency and they are able to create new financial situations, circumstances um, from a place of love as opposed to from a place of fear. And so it's really about reclaiming um, the tools for our lives. And, and it turns out I did that first with around money and now it's about time. And the, the truth is it's the same conversation. Yeah. And you know what I love about that is it's the same conversation in my work as well. Cause I, uh, exactly what you just said about our agency around money and creating what we want around money from a place of love rather than a place of fear is exact, exactly kind of our mission at the parenting junkie is parenting, crafting your life as a parent and creating a family reality that you love uh, rather than one that you fear, that you don't want to spend time in, that you don't enjoy, that is a, a source of great stress. So I really relate to that. And it's interesting seeing people do that same kind of awakening, you know, awareness journey, whether it's money, finances, time, our body and health, you know, all sorts of different uh, areas of life. And often it's, it's the same, you know, basic core tenets. Yeah. So um, I'd love to just ask you a little bit about, you, you teach entrepreneurs, you are an entrepreneur. How does entrepreneurship and parenting converge for you? What changed when you became a mom around entrepreneurship and how is that story developing and evolving with time? Hmm. So much changed around being an entrepreneur when I became a mom. Um, that first year of my do- first daughter's life was extremely difficult um, for a lot of different reasons. I struggled with my mental health. I struggled physically. Uh, my daughter was very sick. Um, it, we had limited childcare. I sort of like had this idea that I should be able to do it all. So 
I didn't ask for the help that I actually needed. Like looking back, I'm just like, what was I doing? (laughs) And so it, it really shifted my relationship to my business because I just didn't care. I like couldn't care about my business anymore in the way that I had previously. And by necessity, I really had to take a step back. And what was so fascinating is despite all the difficulty we had that first year of parenthood and despite working way less than half the amount we had ever worked before, when we sat down with our accountant a year after our daughter was born, she, uh, we realized that we had made the same amount of revenue that year working less than half the amount. And it was just like so fascinating that that could have happened. And so that was the first time that I began to really break down my belief system around time spent equaling results. And I really had to look at the evidence in front of me, which is that my results were no longer exclusively tied to the amount of hours I put in. And so even though I didn't want to go through that year again or anything like it, um, I thought, well, certainly I could take, if I looked back, I could, I could take some of the things that we did by necessity and then do them on purpose to create this environment of thriving as opposed to you know, just basically trying to get through the day. Um, and so that's where the do less methodology came from. Um, and it's been, it's, it continues to be this evolution of liberation. Um, mm-hmm. Because when we have the belief system that our results are exclusively tied to the amount of effort we put in and the number of hours we put in, it is inherently limited and stressful. There's a lot of friction there because we really only do have so many hours in the day. Um, but we actually are, our potential, I believe, is limitless when we can pop ourselves out of the mindset that, well, these are just the amount of hours I have. And if I want to make a certain money, amount of money, I just have to put in this certain amount of hours. And, and, and there are, I have so many examples, including that first year of parenthood, where that wasn't the case at all. Um, and yet the business world continues to teach us that. And actually just like all schools of achievement continue to teach us that our worth is determined by the number of hours we put in and the amount of effort we put in and our results are determined by that, but they're not. So I think that is so liberating. Is it, is there a way to make that teaching accessible for parents who aren't entrepreneurs as well? Yeah. So go on, tell us about that. Say I'm in a job and I work, you know, fixed hours, right? Like, and now I feel like, no, Kate, my time is my value or whatever, right? The value I get out. Now, obviously we live in an economy um, and in a capitalistic society where like, absolutely we, sometimes you are paid hourly. Like that's a hundred percent true. But that being said, we also have the data to prove that for most of us, we're actually productive, meaning doing the things that move the needle, like max two to four hours a day. Um, And this is even like Fortune 500 executives operating at the top of their game, Hmm. right? Yeah. Of course, we could be in debate about whether or not they're (laughs) operating at the top of their game, but that's kind of a different different conversation. Yeah. Um, so this idea that 
a, a 40 hour work week just is what it like. We take this as gospel and it's not. The data shows that people are much happier and much more productive working fewer hours. So like 24 to 30 hours is actually what the studies show um, is optimal for productivity and well-being. And uh, there are countries that are actually moving towards a four-day work week and companies doing this, and they are not noticing any dip in productivity or revenue. And in fact, they're noticing there's far less absenteeism. Workers are happier. Um, and so, yes, you might be listening to this and saying, like, well, that's lovely. You know, thanks for telling me about Sweden, but like, I don't <laughs> live there. And my boss isn't going to be like, oh, yeah, just only come to work, you know, 30 hours a week. I do understand that that may not be possible. However, you know, my sister shared with me, she has a new job right now. And, and she was just sharing a story about advocating for herself. And she said, um, <laughs> she said, you know, in the corporate environment, you have to advocate your, for yourself. Otherwise, the machine will chew you up and spit you out. Mm -hmm. And now, obviously, she was having a moment of intensity at that time. But I also really was like, yeah, it's true. If we don't advocate for ourselves and, and share an alternate desire um, and, and ask for what we need, we will never thrive. Like, the, our boss the government, the economy, our partner, our children are never going to just intuit our needs and then give them to us. Now, sometimes that does happen and it's really beautiful, but we cannot expect that to happen. And so I recommend taking a look at, um, I think it's chapter two of my book, Do Less, where I give all this data and then sharing it with your boss or sharing it with your manager and saying like, hey, have you, do you know this? What if we did an experiment as a, as a company or as a department for, you know, for a month? Like, let's try it out. Be a leader. Change the culture. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I so agree. I think it's so great to actually realize that we can do something with that information, even if we are in a nine-to-five, very, very hardcore corporate job. And I feel that in my blood because my grandfather... Uh, he, he was a big entrepreneur in England, uh, at, you know, after World War II, and he had a furniture factory. And he was the first in a completely industrialized era to abolish clocking out. He abolished sick days. He just said, look, if you're sick, don't come in. I'm not going to count the days. I trust you. Um, oh, he said, like, so if you're good. late, you're late. Like, I, you know, I just come when you can come. Like, I know that you're not going to be late on purpose. I'm not going to, like, you know tally your pay accordingly and he abolished all of these different things and when his company like tanked all of his employees showed up to work for free because they were so loyal and grateful to him and it was just this conscious like employment system back in the 60s when you would have thought this was completely uh, impossible so if it was possible then I mean, today we have the Googles and the, right? I love this story so much because what is at the core of this story is trust in other humans. And we live in a culture that I think is pretty horrifying in terms of our lack of trust in other humans and our corporate structures are set up that way. Now, I run a very small company where all of our team members are virtual. Um, and 
we have a self-managed team. Like we have a company culture. One of our top values is radical responsibility. And it basically means you're responsible for getting your work done. No one is checking. But if you don't get it done, it will be obvious to everyone. And so everyone just like does their stuff. And I'm I'm not forced to be in the place of being a manager. And it saves us so much time because we have hired grownups. Yes. Yes. So, and yeah. I will say also, like, and I'm sure you have, you know, so much to say on this as, a, as, as somebody who teaches parenting, that like, I'm sure there are a lot of applicable lessons to that, to that, that inherent trust in our children to be able to show up for themselves and for others at the level that's developmentally appropriate, right? A hundred million percent. So I also run our company like that. All of my employees, my team, it's like, we even choose our own job. It's like, well, what do you think you'll, you'll really be great at and enjoy doing? And how long do you want to spend on it? And how long can you spend on it? Great. You're doing that. And we really divvy up the work in a way that makes sense. And I love that you're talking about trust and I love that you're talking about ways of this being true for our families as well. And I just want to, one tiny anecdote as well in the, in the corporate field. When I, um, my first job, there was no flexibility on time. I had to be there and the earlier, the better and that kind of thing, you know, and they definitely, you know, looked at you sideways if you left at four or at five o'clock, whatever it was. Um, but my second job, I was already a mom. And by that time, I was like, nah, my time is so much more valuable to me now. And I had already known my worth. I was a designer before I was a parenting junkie. I knew I was good. And I knew how I worked well. And it was not by being sat on my butt in front of a screen for nine hours a day. I couldn't produce excellent work that way. And so in my interview, I said to my boss, listen, I'm never going to feel apologetic if you catch me in a coffee shop in the middle of the day. I am not going to report my hours to you. You tell me what needs to get done. I will get it done. And it, I think, you know, he was a little taken aback, but he, he but he, I got the job and he looked at me and he was like, done because that's it. Now you have responsibility. I'm not, you know, you know how you work best. You know how you're going to get the work done. As long as I'm getting high, high quality work from you, why do I care how long it takes? Right? Exactly. Like <laughs> that's the thing. We have to divorce the idea that something is better if more hours have gone into it. I know so many people who are massive over-preparers and, you know, the over-studying, the feeling like if I rehearse my talk, you know, 35 times as opposed to two times that somehow I'll do a better job. And you know what? Sometimes we smash the life out of our work by overdoing it. And that sometimes there's a vitality and a vibrancy that we actually lose by sort of tweaking it to death or editing it to death or preparing to death. Or, you know, there's a great quote from um, Adrienne Marie Brown's book, Emergent Strategy. And she says one of her principles of emergent strategy is less preparation, more presence. Mm. And obviously there are a million cases where perhaps that's not the case, right? Like in, in, although like, let's say, you know, in the case of heart surgery, right? Big deal. Yes. Obviously you want your surgeon to be highly prepared and, you know, and qualified and trained and all of those things. And you really want your surgeon to be present Mm -hmm. because our best work in at work and in parenting is 
with our full attention, with our presence. And, you know, I find that in parenting, one of the biggest challenges is being present. Like it's just, it continues to be this daily practice of like, okay, be here with them, like as uncomfortable as as it is, as many other things as you want to be doing, as bored as you feel, be here because that's the magic. And, and the same thing is with, is with my work. It's like the more present I am, the less time things take and the better the work is. Yeah. And also I think it's impossible to be truly present for that long. It's like this it's so kind of magical space. So I always talk about exactly that quality over quantity. Like don't expect to be present with your kids all day. That's ridiculous. No one can do that. But can you do one minute of real presence? Because then you're way above the curve of just, you know, because I, I said this today uh, in my coaching, if you do one minute a day of real presence with a child, it's 365 minutes a year. Tell me that isn't a child who grows up to look back saying like, wow, mom was really there for me. One minute a day, you know? Most of us didn't get that. So I think it's really important to realize that, that it's absolutely about doing less, but doing that, that potent, high quality, like targeted, adaptable work right it's it's doing less so that the things we do are high high quality and when we are trying to do everything everything we do is kind of lackluster Mm -hmm. a hundred percent i totally agree so shifting gears a little bit i want to talk more about this parenting idea and it's funny um that you you paralleled it because one of the things that a lot of people have been asking me about recently is homeschooling, where when you compare the school system to the homeschool system, very similar to, uh, you know, the corporate system to maybe like, you know, modern digital entrepreneurs who are agile and work much less, work simply much less hours, but don't compromise on revenue or an output or an impact. Um, I find the same to be true for the school system where people are so surprised that we do the whole school's curriculum in about you know less than an hour a day maybe 15 minutes a day and I think there's often this idea that as parents and I've noticed this you know such interesting research that shows that the parents today even though we're working more mothers in particular are working many more hours than mothers in the 50s we also spend much more time with our kids and the research that's showing that we are simply doing more and more and more which I know you have researched you know very much in depth um it's part of this cultural idea that there is that maybe it's a perfectionism as well, right? Like that we have to do all the things that we have to show up in all the ways that we have to master everything. Um, and how is that, how have you felt kind of the, the echoes of that or the judgments of that around being a parent and being a working parent and being a boss, you know, parent and all of that stuff. How has that impacted literally your, your day to day with your kids, like how, how you manage your life and how you decide where you're showing up and where your energies go. Yeah, well, this is something that I grapple with every day, for sure. Um, as a parent who is a like runs a full time business, and I am I am the person, you know, for better for worse in our company, I do run it with my husband, but like more of it falls on me to show up. Um, he has a little more wiggle room in terms of like being able to do less, um, which has been very useful right now because one of us has to be more of the default parent since we have no childcare during um, the quarantine. Um, but for me, it like I have to just come back to like frequently, like every quarter at least, I have to come back to 
what's the what's the dance between motherhood and working and my personal time that feels right to me because I can get into this place of like tallying the hours and being like okay well I spent you know two hours with my kids in the morning and then I spent eight hours working and then I you know and then I worked out somewhere in there and then and then and then we only oh but we only had an hour and a half together before before they went to bed and like Mm-hmm. I'll do this thing, like this tallying thing at the end of the day. And it doesn't, it's not helping. Like it's not helping me become a better mother. It's certainly not helping grow our business. It doesn't, there's no good result from the tallying of the hours. So instead, what I really try to focus on is like, am I feeling nourished? Am I feeling resourced. Um, because if I'm not feeling resourced, it doesn't really matter how many hours I'm spending with my kids. If I'm not feeling resourced, it doesn't really matter how many hours I'm putting in in my business. And again, it's really about like, how did I feel connected to them today? Um, so as opposed to tallying hours, like really just thinking about the, the glowing moments. And I will say, and the days when there's a lot going on and I'm like running around and trying to get them a daycare or, you know, whatever I'm doing, I do this uh, mom's five-year one-line-a-day one journal, and I have one for each kid. And, like, at the end of the day, there will be days when I can't, like, I, like, cannot pull up a moment. And that's when I know I'm in trouble <laughs> because I'm like, oh, really? Like, you've got nothing? And obviously, sometimes it's because I'm tired or whatever. Yeah. But, but that has nothing to do with the amount of hours I spent with them. It has to do with whether or not I was there. And so I think that for each of us, like what's very dangerous is to look outside of ourselves and be like, well, how's she doing it? How's she doing it? How's that person doing it? How's that person doing it? Because we'll always get into the trap of feeling terrible about ourselves when we are looking to somebody else for how we should be doing things because there is no right way to be a working parent. There is no right way to be a parent who works you know, I, I, uh, I like what Tiffany Dufu says about um, non-paid working mothers, right? Because obviously yeah. all mothers work <laughs> and saying like, you're not a working mom is like, really? What is, yeah. Um, so, you know, regardless of like how, making money or whatever, there's no right way to do it. Um, and it just has to feel right to us. And that's been an ongoing journey I, I think for every mother I know but certainly for myself to just like really trust that if it feels right to me it is also right for my kids because I also think that my kids chose me like that I am the right mother for them even if sometimes I feel like I could be doing a better job I'm still like well they I am the mother they have so I must be the mother they need I love that. And I feel like why not operate as if it's all rigged in our favor and if it's, as if it's all meant to be, especially in parenting. It's like, you know, you can, I think a lot of people can sink into guilt and sink into doubt and feel not good enough in so many ways. I mean, I do hear this daily, um, but it's, you know, without sounding unempathic, it's just such wasted energy. Like, where's that going to go? Right? Like, okay, so you're a terrible mom. And now what? Right? So just always operating from the idea. I just really take that away from what you said is that, you know, you know, with yourself when you've shown up and when, when there was connection and it's not about the hours and it's not about the numbers. A funny anecdote around that is I have a friend who homeschools full time and she unschools. They are in hardly any classes. She does not work. She is with her kids all day, every day. 
without exaggeration. And their main complaint at the end of the day is always, you didn't spend any time with me today, mom. <laughs> and they're always saying like, why weren't you with me today? You, weren't, you were hardly with me. And you know, I just always take that and I just laugh because I'm like, great. Like, I guess you never arrive, right? And it being enough time. So maybe we can just stop measuring from the get-go and really realize that it's not about she can be with her kids for 12 hours every day and it still feels like not enough because maybe she wasn't present with them or maybe because even if she was present with them they're always going to want more of a good thing or kids just can't get enough or it's their way of saying that they love us whatever it is what it is so it's kind of like gotta let that one go totally <laughs> that's unbelievable <laughs> I've heard them say it. I'm like, uh, your mom is with you more than any other mom on the planet. So I don't know. Your yeah, seriously. Yeah. And also our kids don't know what they've got, right? Like, <clears throat> I think most of us feel like, but I'm doing so much more than my parents ever did for me no. or all of that stuff. But they don't know. They don't know how they to know. My My daughter, my four and a half year old, we have a lot of karma. And she said to me the other day, I wish Lulu were my mother and Lulu is my mother. And I wanted to be like, oh, honey, I can tell you the stories. You know, and I love my mother, of course, but it's like, she doesn't know. I was like, well, if Lulu were your mom, she, uh, she would never be here. <laughs> oh, gosh, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. my son, who I told you is homeschooled less than an hour a day. You make me do all this stuff. I have to do all this boring stuff. Why do you control me? Why do you decide for me? I'm my own person. I'm like, oh my gosh, all the other kids are in school to say hi thank you. Anyway, it's hilarious. Unbelievable. So recently, Kate, you've been sharing your journey around vaccinations and what has been going on with that and the judgments that you've been receiving. So I want to shift gears a little bit because I'd love to touch on that. I feel like there was a lot of emotion and, and oh, you know, kind of revelation that a lot of people can learn from there. And I think that often, it's funny, people often write to me and ask me if we vaccinate and it's this hot topic, uh, you know, this, and I, I don't usually go there because it's just not an area of expertise and not something that I'm particularly interested in talking about, just general, generally. But I'll just say off the bat, we vaccinate. Many of our friends don't vaccinate. What much more interests me around this conversation is the conversation itself and the, uh, the space for people to make decisions. And for us, again, let's go back to that concept of trusting and realizing that there are horses for courses and various reasons that people do various things. And so what I don't accept in that entire debate, and I've got to say, I'll take it to an even further extreme. You know, people get extremely dogmatic and very, very judgmental about all sorts of parenting styles. And that, there are 102 parenting styles out there that I disagree with. Okay. I don't agree with them, but I understand where they come from. And I understand that it's a different, that it comes from a certain place. You know what I mean? And just having that understanding, especially when we're talking about something like vaccinations, where we all want our children and everybody's children to be healthy. That's the obvious, that should be the baseline assumption is that every decision we're making is from a place of doing the best thing. We're trying to do the best thing for everyone. So tell us about your experience and what you've learned and what you wish others were hearing through this. I'm so glad you, um, you know, are wanting to talk about this. I vowed that I would never talk about it. Um, <laughs> I understand why. I just was like, <laughs> this is a very contentious topic. And I didn't think I had the capacity for that level of controversy, controversy to be yeah. in the middle of that level of controversy. And then um, a vote came up in Maine um, where the, uh, it was on the ballot to remove the philosophical and religious exemption. 
Um, my children have had very severe eczema, which is a known risk factor with vaccination. So as of yet, we've delayed. Um, I, I'm super open to changing my mind based on their own health and more research that I do. Um, so I think that for me, having said, I would never talk about this publicly and then finding it right in my back door and finding that suddenly this was going to affect my family really profoundly. And it was going to impact my choice about whether or not I could send my kids to school because I wasn't sure if, um, they, based on how the law was going to shift, if they would fall under the medical exemption, um, or not. And that's still a big question mark, quite frankly. Mm. Um, so I, I may be homeschooling and looking you up and, and okay. finding out. And, and that will be, if, if that's the case, it'll be a total gift. So I, I really see um, the beauty in the whole thing because P.S. the vote, we did lose our um, mm. philosophical and religious exemption in, in Maine. Mm. So um, what was so amazing is, you know, when somebody comes towards our children and we feel like they're threatening our children, then suddenly it feels way more important to talk about the things that we said we would never talk about. <laughs> and so my mama bear energy came out so strong because I just saw lies on the other side. And I didn't want people to agree with me. I just wanted them to do their research. And I think that as mothers, from the moment we get pregnant, if we are you know, if we are carrying our child or through the adoption process or whatever permutation you became a parent, there are so many opportunities to give our power away because the culture would prefer it. We live in a patriarchy where that is dependent upon women giving their power away. And it happens in medicine every day. It happens with the government. It happens in the school system. There are just like every opportunity you can imagine as a mother, you are being asked to let somebody else make important decisions for you and to not trust yourself. And what really got me was the number of people who came to me in their DMs and said they had asked a question in their pediatrician's office and was shamed for it. And to me, this has not like, yes, it's about the vaccine conversation, but what this is actually about is parents doing their own research and checking in with their own inner wisdom and creating a society where it's okay to ask a question at the doctor's office. Like it is terrifying to me that people are afraid to ask a question when their child is about to have a substance injected into their bloodstream. And like the shaming and the silencing is very scary. It's, it's uh, very similar. I felt quite similar during the conversation to the way I felt around um, learning about birth and learning about advocacy and empowerment and, and choices that we have in birth and talking to all my friends about their birth stories and the number of friends I had who, you know, had something happen that they didn't expect and that they didn't want, but they were like, well, the doctor said, so even though it didn't feel right, I didn't say anything. And I just think that as parents, if we can teach our children one thing, it's to trust themselves. And if we are not 
doing that ourselves and we're not educating ourselves and pushing back every now and again to authority figures, that to me is a very scary world. And it's not one that I'm interested in raising my girls in. So it was a wild experience. Yeah. Tell me about some of the pushback and criticism you got and how you handle that. Cause I think that's a universal experience. As, as oh, it is. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. If, yeah, I'm sure everyone has their own story of, of being faced with, um, you know, people who disagree with them, right? We, yeah. we all have that. We have yeah. it in our families. We have it on social media, all, all kinds of things. And, um, and it wasn't, you know, I expected people to disagree with me. I have plenty of friends who disagree with me. Um, and that's great. And we talk about it very kindly and share resources. And, and actually, there were a couple of friends uh, during the experience who um, did come back with questions and disagreement. And, and I felt like for these few women in my life who really wanted to engage around this in a kind, compassionate way, it brought us so much closer. Like, I, I feel so much closer to these women in my life who are neighbors actually. And, um, and we still totally disagree. <laughs> and I just was like, God, I love you. <laughs> like, I'm so glad to know you in this way in, in a conversation around disagreement. So there was that and it was beautiful. And then there were a lot of people not, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, oddly, I had no idea this would happen. Um, but talking about medical freedom and body autonomy, um, grew my platform in a way I had no idea. It would, I, I, I assumed it would tank my following, um, but I was going to do it anyway because it felt so important. But what ended up happening is, yes, of course, I lost followers, but I gained so many more. And it was very um, shocking, quite frankly. But the people I lost, um, it was fine if people unfollowed. That was fine. It was the ones who felt the need to announce it and tell me, how ashamed they were of me and tell me how disappointed they were in me and how irresponsible they felt I was being as though they were a disappointed parent. Like, and, and one of the things that really came through is I realized, God, the language you're using here is so authoritarian as though at some point, because you hit follow on Instagram, we went into some kind of contract where I would then abide by your unwritten, unsaid expectations of me. And now I've, God forbid, gone and said something you disagree with. And now you feel the need to announce your unfollowing and also shame me and also threaten me and my children. Fascinating. Fascinating. And that was like, for the first 24 hours, I just, my nervous system was all jacked up and I just thought I was, would die. Like it really felt like I was going to die. Yeah. Um, and then I worked with, you know, my nervous system healing tools and, and then I didn't die. And then I was like, F you, like, I don't care what you think. <laughs> um, so that was really great because I think I am somebody who has really cared what people think. Mm. And, and I've tempered a lot of what I say publicly because I never wanted to stir up controversy because I thought I didn't have the capacity mm. for it. And, and it turns out I do. So that's quite free. 
So liberating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I think we all have those things, especially those of us with public platforms where we feel like, oh, I just mustn't show this side of me or this side of my family or this fact about us or whatever it is. Um, I certainly feel those things sometimes. And I think it's really liberating when you're on the other side of that and just be like, yeah, you know, I'm Israeli and I talk about that freely and openly. And I'll get people writing to me like, oh, I, I can't buy your products because I don't want any of my money somehow getting to Israel or that kind of thing. And I'm just like, okay, peace. Like, you know, good. Like now you know that this isn't for you type of thing, you know? And, and that's such a good know? point, right? Like I had people just with the whole diatribe of shaming and blah, blah, blah. And then I had people being like, listen, I don't agree with you, but I so deeply respect you standing up with an unpopular belief and doing so kindly. And so I will follow you wherever. And yeah. I was like, well, that's cool. Yeah. And I had people reach out because I was doing this, um, totally unplanned. I was doing this uh, during a launch, which is like a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> well, not in this case. Yeah. Well, I, one would think. And it, you know, I was like super distracting my people from the program, but I just like couldn't, I was compelled. Yeah. So I couldn't stop myself. And I had people reaching out again. They were like, I wasn't going to sign up for this thing, but now I'm signing up because I'm impressed and I'm like inspired. And I was like, okay. Great. Yeah. That is so funny. Yeah. I feel like you don't lose. It feels like you could lose everything, but I feel like ultimately you don't lose from speaking your truth. You know, like it feels very, very scary, but it's, it's definitely liberating to be on the other side of that for sure. I've been through that a couple of times with various things and I always feel better. It's, it just always feels better on the other yeah. side. Yeah, because you really do find out who your real people are and, and it's, it's magnetic to be specific about not to say obviously like I don't you know I don't care if my customers vaccinate their children or not um, all are welcome but like to know that people who are new in our community are now um, are now there because they believe in freedom of speech is to me that's like an incredibly important value and um, and it is you know I think we have to all know that like our freedom of speech is actually under, you know, under pressure right now. There is like very real censoring that happens on social media and people get posts taken down and, you know, all kinds of things. And, and, um, you know, I think we just have to know that we just have to know that like the internet is not the free open place that we are under the illusion that it is, um, which is just yet another reason to choose the people you follow and, and, and listen to, um, people who are thinking outside the box. Mm. And, you know, I want to take this also off the internet as well, because I think what was really powerful about one of the things that you said was that your neighbors and you were able to have this conversation. And I think there's a lot of self-censoring. And I especially experienced this in American culture. I'm from England, I'm from Israel, and I've lived in lots of different places. And, and I felt it so powerfully when I moved here that people walk on eggshells and they're nervous to ask you, where are you from? What religion are you? I don't know, you know, all these different things like that are considered personal questions here that are just obvious questions in other cultures of like, just tell me who you are, right? Like there's no, you know, there's no barriers to that. Um, so, 
here I feel like people are so nervous that they might say an, a politically incorrect thing or they might ask a question that's too personal or you'll judge them or won't let them in your house or won't let your kids play with their kids if you're the wrong type of whatever. And I think one of the things that I found incredibly powerful and I just want to encourage anyone listening is and, and a big part of my work at The Parenting Junkie is changing the format of these conversations that we have with other parents from a format of judgment and, you know, a kind of, deciding and and deciding for them and you know labeling them as certain types of things right agree disagree type of phenomena versus a joint experience where it's okay to disagree and it's okay to be different and celebrating inclusivity and diversity is not just about different people's skin colors it's right. also about different people's lifestyle choices and values and ideas and the way they run their life and so I have found that to be so powerful when you move past that barrier with other moms in particular in my case but just other people other dads um and you are able to say, hey, that's so interesting. You know, why don't you vaccinate? That's interesting. Can you tell me more? And just the curiosity. And that doesn't mean that you endorse it. That doesn't mean you agree with it. It doesn't mean you have to do it. <laughs> it just means that you can make space for lots of different ideas, you know? Yes, I love that. And I think that's so true of our culture. Um, you know, I live in New England. We are known for being uptight. And it's really fascinating to, to it's like really cool the moment when I'm talking to another mom and you know like the veil comes off and we're actually now telling the truth yeah. and it doesn't happen all the time but when it does it's so amazing and uh there's this mom who um also, our kids go to daycare together. So I met her at, at daycare. We have like a co-op. And so there's a little board and we sit in the tiny chairs once a month. <laughs> and, you know, make decisions about snacks. And, um, and I knew I loved her just like from the meetings. Uh, but then she said, then she mentioned one day a drop-off. She was like, I, I'm, really I'm really loving your podcast. And I was like, like, uh, because... I feel like so I, I feel like I have this illusion that there's like the me that's a mom in person and then there's like me in public and I was like oh god like what did I say like I don't know oh my god you know and meanwhile I know thousands of people listen to our podcast every week but I'm like I don't want to do drop off with them but then it was so cool because then we had that and then she would mention the podcast every now and again and I was like oh okay this is a lady I can talk to about real things and then we ended up um, totally didn't know that the other one was going. We ended up running into each other at a Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach um, workshop at Omega. And I was like, oh, hey. And then we ended up running into each other at like a Bessel van der Kolk talk in Portsmouth. And like, so, so it's just such a cool like moment of being able of realizing like, yeah, okay, we're here making decisions about animal crackers, but also we are women who are multi-layered and like, but, and, and there, I, I don't think it's everyone that you can go there with. I really don't. Um, but there are enough who, and I try to just like dip my toe in a little bit with people. Like I'll say something a little wacky or like off the, and just see where they go with it. And, and I've been really like pleasantly surprised by how many people are willing to go there. If you go first to say the weird thing. Right. If you're vulnerable. Yeah. If you yeah. open it up and just be like, yeah, 
Totally. Yeah. And then some people are just like, look at you like you're crazy. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I won't yeah. do that again with you. <laughs> no. Yeah. <That's> fine. <laughs> <Not for> us. <laughs> okay. So I would love to ask you to just, for anyone listening who's wondering, okay, how are you running a business and you've got two kids at home and you're somewhat present with them according to what you're saying how do you manage your life a lot of people ask me this question of how do you do it all right with the assumption that you do it all um how do you answer that question when people ask that to you with the quarantine situation at the time of recording you know i don't know when this will go live um i have uh you know basically none of the support that I usually have. And it's uh, deeply painful. So like, I, you know, it's just like, usually I have, so I'll tell you what I usually have. So I usually, um, one daughter is at daycare four days a week and one is at pre-K five days a week. And um, we also have somebody who helps with some laundry and meal prep and just like errands and things. Um, I do run a company with my husband. We also parent together. Um, my mom lives close by. She's not like available a ton for babysitting, but, she, but it's really great because I can be like, hey, mom, you know, we have this 30 minute overlap where neither Mike or I can be home. Like, can you pick up one of the girls and do so? She's like a really great like duct tape grandmother that's really helpful <laughs> um, and then my dad and my stepmom live close by um they have a 17 year old a daughter who's my half sister so they're like pretty in the thick of it with parenting but um but my stepmom i call her my bonus mom um she's like really awesome when she can be and um and so and then in terms of the team in our company um we don't have anybody actually who works full time uh, really including mike and i um, but we have two people who are like 30 hours, 20, 30 hours a week. And then, you know, some people who are freelance here and there. So, um, I, I don't do it all by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I feel like I do not put pressure on myself around like household stuff. I try to not ever do laundry, honestly. And I try to do a minimal amount of cooking, although I am really have continued to, um, try to change my relationship with cooking. <laughs> and so I just like find it more joyful because the more joyful I find it, like the less of a big deal it is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, you know, but for me, like knowing what my time is worth in our company, I know that spending an hour folding laundry is definitely not a good use of my time also because I don't find it joyful. There are other things that like, I don't mind doing at all that are also not technically a good use of my time mm -hmm. that um, I just happily do. Like I get very, very satisfied by vacuuming, you know, as an example, or like there's a specific way that I like the towels folded, not a great use of my time, but it gives me a lot of joy to have them lined up correctly. So like little things. Like <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's sort of the answer of the logistics. Um, I obviously understand like I come from, um, you know, I have multiple layers of privilege that allow me to have that kind of support. Um, I also am very specific about how I want to run our business and allocate our resources so that, you know, for example, like I, <laughs> I drive a car that I've driven since 2011 that costs me $25 a month in gas because it's a Prius and like it has no pain, you know, all of those things 
so we, I've made choices around things that I invest in versus things that I don't invest in. And I'm always going to invest in more support because it allows me to be present with my kids. Like the time I have with my kids, I don't want to be trying to think of like, I have to clean the house and do the laundry and like make perfect meals and all of those things. Like, I just don't want that to be now. And, and I understand that is the case for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I'm just telling you the truth of my life. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I, I relate to that a hundred percent. And I think when people hear that, I think it's very important that especially mother entrepreneurs talk about the help and talk about the support and talk about what it takes because um, I'm always telling people you can't compare someone else's front stage to your backstage. And if it looks like there's more than one person doing the work, there probably is. And that's always been the case in my home. I've always hired as much help as I possibly can afford to. Um, I think it's a great use of your money if you've got it. But I also think there's a mindset barrier there. Even if um, like one aspect is affording the help, just finding the money for it or allocating the money for it, And the other aspect is the mindset of accepting help. And there's even a lot of free help to be had around um, if we were just opening up our communities a little bit more for the bartering and the neighborly love. And, you know, there are grandparents around who are lonely and would love to read a story to your kid. And there are so many solutions that are actually, that don't even involve money, but I think people are not open to just receiving the help because of the mindset. I love that. It's such a good point. We live in a neighborhood that's very close because, um, all the houses were built within the last two years. So we all just moved in at the same time. Uh-huh. It's very uh, collegiate. <laughs> so there's so much like, oh, hey, you know, my one friend was like going through fertility treatment and she had to drive to Boston every week. And, and she was like, can I drop my daughter off at 5.50 a.m.? And can you bring her to daycare with your kids? And we were like, yes, we will so happily do that. And um. Like that's, you know, that I'm, I just felt so honored that she would be willing to ask and, and to know that like, she's also now the kind of person that I can lean on because I know she's available for that kind of logistical support. And, you know, on snow days, like we'll have the woman who's our project manager actually lives down the street from us and her kids are the exact same age. So like on a recent snow day, we were like, great. So send, send Tucker up. He and Penelope played for like six hours they kept each other occupied and Abby and I were both able to work because you know and she kept being like is it okay like is it still fine for him to be there I was like yes because my kid's not asking me for anything yeah yeah thinking through the free layers of support is so so important Yes. It's another cultural thing that I feel so strongly because when you live in Israel, like you will knock on someone's door, you know, you don't need to text and call ahead of time. And if they're busy, they'll be like, we're busy. And that's it. You're done. It's not this whole song and dance of getting like a play date in the calendar and preparing for it. And like, Oh, what's next? Can we make what this Like, it's just like, everybody just like, you'll figure it out, you know? And we have a little boy who lives down the road and I call him our babysitter. You know, he's six years old. He comes over, knocks on our door and away my eldest two go with him. I don't see them for about six hours. And same thing. His mom's always like, is it okay? He's always at your house. I'm like, please never take him away. Like we need him. <laughs> you know? have a neighborhood. Our neighborhood is like very much from a different era. Penelope, since she was three, just like leaves the house in the morning and goes to find friends. And then the parents will text and be like, Penelope's in our house. 
And you're like, oh, um, I didn't even know. <laughs> it's really, it's so lovely. I don't think we can ever move. Yeah, that is extremely special. It is. It's very, very stressful yeah. special today. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So that's huge. I think that's huge. And I think owning the idea of just getting help and, and paying for help and not having any shame around that if you can. And then also finding the free aspects of help is Oh, it's so crucial. I mean, we don't have the intergenerational, you know, I love that you said that you have these, you know, your mom and your dad and stepmom and they're involved. We live very far away from family, but we hope to move back to be close to family for those exact reasons. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Meaningful. It's incredibly yeah. meaningful. So Kate, thank you so much for spending your, your very precious time here with us. Everybody's time is precious, but your time is particularly precious. Thank you so much. I think it's going to be incredibly inspiring um, to anyone listening to this. And just as a last question before, I, you know, I want you to tell everyone where they can find your work and all of that. But before we get to that, just as a last question, can, uh, can you kind of, if you had kind of one message to send out to the parents who have just become a parent perhaps, or just had a new sibling, or they're trying to straddle the worlds of work and entrepreneurship and, or, or, or day jobs and parenting, etc., can you give them the little manifesto of the do less uh, philosophy, right? How can they take that and even today make a change in their mindset and in their approach through, through this teaching of yours? Well, I think one of the biggest time and energy wasters, you already said it, is beating ourselves up for not being enough. And it's sort of the great irony is that the more we're focused on trying to be better, the less present we are. And so if you want to take something off your list, um, take off the list beating yourself up because your worth is not determined by the amount you get, do, you get done in a day. Uh, your kids certainly don't care how much laundry you folded or like how good your counters look or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and they're like really, you know, our best selves are our relaxed selves. Mm -hmm. So I know that I feel terrible and not relaxed and super stressed out when I'm beating myself up versus when I'm really allowing myself to know that I'm doing the best I can. And, and I know that anyone listening to this show is obviously doing the best that they can. And I just want to say you're doing enough. You're doing great. Thank you. That is so good to hear. No matter how much you know it, it's always something good to hear, right? It's like, yeah. we just need to hear those words. You're doing enough. You're good enough. You're doing great. So thank you so much, Kate. Now, will you tell everyone where they should go to find out about more about your incredible work? Absolutely. So you can head over to kmorthrop.com. I have a uh, weekly, a do less weekly planning guide that'll kind of get you started on some of those um, initial steps to doing less and having more um, and being more present with the things that matter in your life and knowing what to eliminate. That's a huge one. And, um, and then I'm the most active on Instagram at kmorthrop. Brilliant. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. All right, Kate, thank you so very much. Thanks for listening to The Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste. Namaste.